Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are going to be talking about some literary adaptations, but also series that are literary in nature, that function like a novel will function. I'm excited about that because I find a lot of times when things are just a little bit too busy for me to settle down and focus on a book, I love a long series to kind of like give me that feeling of having things unfold chapter by chapter. We figured we'd discuss some of those today. Before that, of course, we are going to get to what we have been up to in terms of reading. So Gail, why don't you kick us off? And I say, (laughs) kick us off or maybe carry us through because I am in much the same place as I was last week. Okay. In terms of my reading. This is very unusual for me, but I'm reading two books back to back by the same author. Oh, okay. Yeah. I almost never do that. Are they part of a series? No. Oh, okay. Completely unrelated. I was pitched a book that I had not read before, but which has been out for a while. And that is The Storied Life of A.J. Fickery. I think you and I talked about it briefly last week. Yep. So there is a movie coming out. So there's an adaptation right there. Or I think it's actually already out. And it is the adaptation of that book, The Storied Life. And you, I remember you looked it up and said it was had not done well. on. I was not getting good critical attention. Not sure about whether readers or regular moviegoers liked it. Right. Yeah, I haven't really done any research into that yet. But I read the book because I had never read it and I was interested in the author, Gabrielle Zevin. And so I finished A.J. Fickery and, you know, it started out for me a little bit too cutesy to like, oh, you know, heartwarming, quirky characters. But it got a little more dark as it progressed, which made it much more interesting for me. I found that I liked it better as I proceeded through the book. Okay. It has a trope in it that I hate. Did I? Did we talk about this last week? The abandoned baby trope. This is about the children. Yeah. yeah. So I hate abandoned baby tropes because I just think they're completely unrealistic. Right. We talked about that. Like plopping a baby into someone's life is a massive, massively like disruptive thing. And I think sometimes we act like books and even movies. They don't really. Yeah. They kind of gloss over that part. People are all good with everyone's up to the challenge and love it and they want the baby. Right. And it just unearths things in them that makes them different. But, um, you know, as the book went on, like, I I liked it better. And I do like her writing. I think that her characters might be quirky sometimes, but they're not unrelatable. They're not like so offbeat or, you know, she doesn't throw in so many like strange references that you don't know what's going on. I finished that and then I started reading like the book that's been all over the place this year, which is tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And, you know, it kind of, for me, it had suffered from that thing where like, I think you and I have talked about this when a book gets super hyped or like everyone loves it and says, oh, this is the best book ever. Then I'm kind of like not as excited to read it. But I had picked it as my book of the month many months ago. And my in real life book club is reading it. And you and I are reading it for the next Readerly Report book club. I started it and I'm maybe a hundred pages in and I really like it so far. Okay, good. It, I'm, it's, it's, it's different from AJ Fickery. It's really different from AJ Fickery. Like it's not. Do you feel like she's grown as an author? I do think so. I think that it's like less 
quirky, cutesy, and more just interesting. It's reminding me a little bit of Meg Wolitzer, maybe. Try to think what it's reminding me of. That seems to be, so far, it's reminding me a bit of the interestings. In part because it's about these kids who basically meet in high school and then, and I'm not far enough into it really to to do that, to make that comparison yet, but that's the initial vibes I'm getting, which is a different, I think a different feel than AJ Fickery, which felt to me more fabulous, like almost like a fable. I don't know. This one just feels more realistic and, uh, and I'm liking it. So I'm glad to say that so far it's, it's living up to the hype. That's what I've been reading. I don't think I missed anything. I'm just taking a quick poke peek at my blog to make sure that I didn't miss whatever I read before. AJ Fickery, make sure that we have talked about it. Oh yeah. I read, did I, we talked about the making of her by Bernadette Jiwa, which I think, did we talk about that one? That doesn't sound. Oh, maybe familiar. we didn't. Yeah. Maybe we didn't. The making of her is a book that uh, is set in Ireland. And I really like this one too. So I'm glad to give it a little bit of airtime because I don't, I don't not seeing this book anywhere. It's set in Ireland in the 60s and then basically the 90s, like 30 years later, 25 years later. It's about um, a woman who grows up poor in uh, a town in Ireland and she meets this guy who's like rich and, you know, rich and handsome and they fall in love. But his mother's very disapproving because she's like from the wrong side of the tracks and he's very, you know, uh, they're, they're very established in the community, but so they decide, um, so, so basically they get together and she gets pregnant and this is in the sixties in Ireland. And you, you know, abortion is like, you know, completely on, off the table. So they move to England briefly so that she can have the baby. Um, he kind of, they kind of both, you know, he's moving to England anyway to go to take a, a academic course. So she comes and joins him there, has the baby. They give up the baby for adoption because it would be completely unheard of for them to have had a baby out of wedlock, but they did, but they intend to get married. So they move back to Ireland, they get married and she is haunted by this baby that she gave up. She's always, you know, thinking about it. She feels guilty and awful and sad. And her husband, meanwhile, has completely moved on. So it's about like the way that this secret really corrodes their relationship and also impacts her relationship with her eventual daughter that she has with her husband. So the sister of the the baby that she gave away. And then, you know, many, many years later, um, the the baby has grown up and has been adopted. That daughter finds her and writes her a letter and has kind of her own ulterior motive for reaching out beyond just, I want to meet my birth mother. And so it kind of, it does this dual timeline thing between when she gave the baby up in the sixties and then, you know, exploring why and what was going on through her mind and then going to present day with her daughter, her two daughters and how she relates to them. So, uh, it was, I I actually really liked it. It, I thought it wrapped up a little bit too quickly, a little too neatly, but other than that, it was a good, you know, immersive family secrets read, which I like. So that one is Bernadette Jiwa, and that is spelled J-I-W-A, and I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. It's <laughs> okay. an Irish name. It's probably, you know how Irish names are often pronounced nothing like how they look? Yes. It's probably like Smith, but um, right. anyway. So that was The Making of Her, and I can't remember where I read about it, but somehow I read about it. It ended up on my 
library hold list. It came in and I read it. So did you say that came out this year? I think it did. Yeah. Okay. So I think it's a pretty new book. Um, so that's what I've been reading. And then as far as what I'm listening to, I, and I'm curious to know whether you ever read this. Apparently it is the 10th anniversary of the book, Dear Sugar, which is. Oh no. Okay. So you never did. So it's a collection of advice column questions and answers from Cheryl Strayed. So Cheryl Strayed is probably best known as the author of the book Wild, which was made into a movie with Reese Witherspoon. I never read the book. I did see the movie. She's also the persona behind the advice column, Dear Sugar, which appeared initially on The Rumpus. And I don't know if it still does. I don't actually read it regularly. But it's the 10th anniversary of that book, which is a compilation of of uh, you know questions people have written in and then the answers she's given. I am a total sucker for an advice column. Like I read, <laughs> <laughs> I read Carolyn Hacks. I read Ask Amy. I read the one in Vulture. Was it Vulture that I the one that I read all the time? It's I'm just oh dear Prudy. I don't remember <laughs> what what column that one's in. And I just I, like I love it. So I'm actually listening to that one on audio. So I and they've re-released it ten years later, and I think they've added some new questions to it and updated it a little bit. They gave it a new introduction. I, I really I'm enjoying it. It's a good audio thing because it's they're short. The chapters are short because they're just different questions, and I'm enjoying it. Her answers are a little bit wordy, and sometimes they're a little bit too much about her. But I've I've started to appreciate that, and now I'm starting to enjoy it more. I remember so when that book came out, and I think it, it predated Wild, right? Uh, yes. Uh, actually, yes, I think it did. because I think it did, because I remember Dear Sugar, and everyone was talking about it, probably because it was a column. Did you say it was on the rumpus? Yes. So I remember everyone talking about it, and I have no, having no idea of who she was or why, you know, like, wasn't, right. I'm not, I don't read a lot of advice columns, even though yeah. lately... In Newsweek, like in the Newsweek feed, the, you know, who's the asshole? <laughs> oh, I don't know that one. Showing up. Well, it'll basically tell you like some kind of contentious topic where you have to decide like who, who oh. is not being right in this situation. Like it'll be like, I think one of the recent ones was this woman moved in with her boyfriend and he like makes $500,000 a year and she is a student. She's in social work school you know, everything is paid for through loans or whatever. And he, her lease is up for whatever reason, and they are going to move in together, but he won't move to a more inexpensive neighborhood. And he says that, you know, move in with me, I will pay for everything until you finish school. And then we can split expenses or whatever. So she moves in with him two months later, his friends make some kind of comment about, Oh, she's a gold digger or whatever. And then he starts asking her to pay like half of this very substantial amount of rent. <laughs> wow. And like, you know, so who's, who's the bad guy there? Yep. Got it. Ooh, I gotta start reading that. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, yeah, I can't get enough of it. The best one is spoiler alert. They thought it was him. It was just like, he's weak. How could he just listen to his friends? You guys had an agreement. He didn't want to move to a cheaper neighborhood, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess she, she like moved out and just got her own apartment. Did they stay together? No, I think he's like in the, when they left it, he was calling all the time and trying to get her back, trying to get her. And then I think he was trying to get her to stay for whatever, like the $800 apartment she found. He was like, just give me $800. And she's like, no. Got it. 
because who knows when he's going to like have a conversation with his friends and change his mind again. All right. So the one that I love the most is Dear Prudy, also called Dear Prudence. And it's, I was wrong. It's on Slate. It's not on um, Culture. Oh, okay. I've so, probably read some of those. I like Slate. The problem with it is that if you, I think it comes out like twice a week. And if you click through to Slate too many times, um, <laughs> and they start asking <laughs> you, you've run out of free articles. And I don't feel like spending the monthly you know, amount to subscribe to Slate. So I have to like go to an incognito browser and open it <laughs> and try to trick Slate into thinking I have not already been there eight times this month or I have oh to do it on gosh. my phone. I know, but it's I never it. think of, I never think of stuff like that. <laughs> oh, I'm always like, oh, you know, and I love like when the month starts over again, because then I get like a clean <laughs> slate and I can go and, and access it and not worry about it. So I apologize to people who perhaps write for slate <laughs> and are mad that I won't pay the monthly amount. Anyway, so um, that's what I'm listening to is Dear Sugar. Okay, so I think since last week when I told you I was reading More Than You'll Ever Know by Katie Gutierrez, I have probably read an additional one page. <laughs> oh boy, one of those weeks. One I'm those seeing weeks. that book every, everywhere though, so I'm very excited to have you finish it and tell me what you think of it. The interesting thing about it is like a week ago when I looked at, you know, just pulled it up um, on Goodreads or whatever, it had a much higher rating and it's like, I guess more people have read it in this week. And it's down to like 3.9 stars from the four point whatever it was before. So I'm like, I need to finish it quickly <laughs> yeah, <laughs> before I lose motivation. Right. All right. Uh, so I have a few other things to tell you. Okay. The first is that today I'm going to a book reading by Matthew Perry. Yeah, I'm kind of excited. He's at the Warner Theater in D.C., I bought these tickets, like well, these tickets, this ticket, because I'm going by myself. I bought it like months ago. And at first I was super excited to read his memoir. Then I started reading all the excerpts from the memoir that came out like last week. And oh, I was about to say, I only heard about the excerpts and how he apparently hates the yeah. leaves and wish he had yeah. died. So I, so then I was unexcited to read the memoir. Cause I was like, first of all, I've already heard all the juicy parts. And secondly, people are sort of not giving it the best reviews, but then People are now, I'm now starting to see it pop up in like my bookstagram feed or Facebook or places where I tend to see reader reviews. Yeah. People seem more, they said it's pretty good. And I've also seen one or two people post about seeing him because he's on this book tour. I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm excited. I think it'll be, it'll be fun. And then. Well, you'll have to report. Yes, I will definitely report back. And then I also wanted to rant about something. Which is, yeah, we haven't had a rant in a long time. Okay. So here's my rant. I was pitched a book a couple, like last week by a publicist, not a, um, not a publishing house publicist, but like a PR firm publicist. And it was a book that I was interested in. And so like a little background for people who are not like, you know, book bloggers is that, you know, pitches come in first of all, all the time from either self-published or PR firm publicists. And oftentimes they're books I'm not at all interested in. They're not, up, you know, not in my wheelhouse or, you know, I can tell I'm just on some like massive mailing list. And so I delete most of them. I don't really get pitched books by as much by publishers anymore. I think um, there's a couple of things, a couple of factors at work. I, I'm definitely not a big 
you know, big name like on Bookstagram or BookTok or whatever. And so I'm just not like on in like the upper echelons of like outlets that people pitch. And I also think that with the pandemic and supply chain, I just think that publishers have fewer books to send out. And so they can be, they don't need to, you know, do these mass mailings anymore. But I do, you know, I, I would say like somewhat regularly I get pitched stuff. And then usually the stuff that, and especially if it's coming from a publisher, they'll offer me like a NetGalley download. And I don't really read on e-reader. It's just not my thing. I don't, I don't like it and I don't think of it. So I, I'm not organized that way. I don't have a whole list of review copies in on my Kindle. And so if somebody sends me something on e-reader, you know, a, a, down, a digital download, it's much less likely I'm actually going to read it. But so this publicist reached out from a PR firm and she, she reached out to me, sent me a long email about this book. And it was one that, that I actually wanted to read. And it had been on my, as you said, I'd been giving it the eye. And I think I even have it like on the library hold list and I have it on audio. So I was like, oh, perfect. Like I would love to get a copy of this book. And she offered it to me in print or in PDF format. And like, I find PDF format even less user-friendly because that's not even like a, I don't, unless there's a way to move PDF to e-reader, PDF is like basically sending me something I would have to print, right? It's just like pages. You can read it on your e-reader, but I don't like to do it that way just because it doesn't have the nice turn feature. It's Oh, got it. Right. It's cumbersome. So, but she offered it to me in print or in PDF. So I wrote back and I said, oh yes, I'd love to read this book in print. You know, if you can send me a copy, I'd, I'd love it. And I think I don't think I sent her my address, but I said, yeah, I'd love to read this in print. And then she writes me back and says, well, what are your, what are your follower numbers? She goes, because for the smaller blogs, we're sending out PDFs. And I was really irritated because I was like, you pitched me. Like if, if I had reached out to her and said, hey, I'd love to get a copy of this book. I could see her being like, well, we have a really limited supply. Can you tell me what your numbers are? But she pitched me and offered me a print copy. I said yes, and then she asked me for my numbers, which I thought that was in bad form. Yeah. And just got to suck it up for that one. Well, (laughs) so I wrote back and I told her what they were. And I said, well, I have this, I have a blog and I have Bookstagram and I use Twitter and I'm on Facebook and I have a podcast. (laughs) If you combine all that together, it's probably X number. And I was trying not to be snarky about it, but then I just was like, if I make the cut, here's my address. And I put my address on there and she wrote me back like very quickly. And she said, here's the PDF download. Here's the PDF file. And I'll I'll put a print copy in the mail to you too. So I don't know if she like backtracked and felt kind of embarrassed that she had done that. Or if my numbers did make the cut, maybe I guess it was enough over the threshold of what they had, but it just kind of like left a bad taste in my mouth. Like I understand that that's sort of where this industry is heading. And I'm totally fine with that. I'm fine with my download numbers or my, you know, follower numbers. Like this is like for you and me both, this is a hobby. This is not something that we, we, we both have day jobs that take up a lot of time. And this is something we love to do on the side, but it's like, I don't think you and I are expecting to be monetized. We're not monetizing (laughs) it. We're not expecting to be in like the top echelon of, book bloggers and book podcasters. But I just, it, I don't know, the way that she handled it sort of like left a bad taste in my mouth. And I checked out her PR firm. Yeah, that was really awful. And she was, she's like the head of it. 
Like she's, you know, she's like a, she's like runs the place. So I just was sort of like, huh. but anyway, but I, hopefully the book will actually show up. Okay. And if it doesn't, then you just won't read yeah, it. Yeah. Or I'll get it from the library, which is what I expected to do anyway. So, oh, I think I said, Hi. I think I said to her, it was a little passive aggressive. Or you won't read the PDF anyway. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm definitely not going to read the PDF. I think I said, if I don't make the cut, I'll just wait for the library hold or something like it. And I wasn't trying to be like snarky, but I just like, that's, that's the real, you know, it's, that's the reality of it. So anyway, that's my, that's my rant. Yeah. That was awkwardly handled. Yeah. Maybe she doesn't do that on a regular basis. I'm guessing no. <laughs> All right. So literary, literary series. What have you got? Well, so I approached this a little differently than you did, which I, which is good because then we'll have a nice mix. I actually just focused on stuff that's coming out in the next maybe like six months. I, I just don't want, as much as I really want to watch all these literary series, I just tend not to watch a lot of TV. I didn't really have anything that I had seen over the last couple months that I thought fit the bill. So I focused on stuff that's upcoming that I'm excited about and would be intrigued to watch. So maybe we can kind of okay. go back and forth between stuff that's out and that you've watched or been interested in watching. And I can talk about some stuff that's coming out, which looks pretty good to me. Sounds All good. Right, why don't you kick us off? So what's coming out? Oh, okay. Well, I was going to, let's see. All right. So some things that are coming out. All right. I'm going to start with the one I'm the most excited about. And I think this is a movie. So not, um, not in TV. And it is the adaptation of, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret which is Judy Bloom's book from the seventies that I think everybody read back then. And probably people have read since then, but it's definitely like a Gen X mainstay from our childhood. And I don't know whether it's going to be set in 1970, which is when the book came out, or if it's going to be updated for current, but this is about. A, that came out in the 1970s. Yeah, it came out in 1970. Isn't that crazy? Oh, I didn't read it. You didn't read it? Did you read any Judy Bloom? Um, not really, no. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, this was Judy Bloom for me was like everything. She wrote this one, she wrote Blubber, she wrote Forever, which is like most people's most people I know their first like exposure to like sex in a book. And it was, you know, sort of scandals like a lot of our parents like the parents didn't realize that there was sex in the book. People would sort of like have their like covert copy of Forever. Yeah, this is coming out as a movie with Abby Ryder Fortson. I don't know who that is, so I'm guessing she's going to play Margaret and Rachel McAdams who might play the mom. And it's about a girl, she's in 6th grade, she's navigating friendships, getting your period and religion because she's like half Jewish and half Christian, so she's sort of dealing with that. I'm very excited about this one. So it's coming out at the end of April as a movie. Okay. So it's not in pre-production anymore. It's been filmed. It's ready to looks come like out. it is. Yeah. Some of these we hear about so far in advance or you hear they're making a movie and it'll be years and years before. It right. Yeah. But I think they're getting a little bit quicker on some of them. Yeah. Like when I think about Celeste Ng's, what is it? The fire book. Little fires everywhere. Little fires everywhere. I think that did that come out in like 2017 or something? Yes. I felt like it was fairly recent. Yeah. I felt like it was a, a pretty 
pretty quick turnaround in terms of film. Yeah. So on Amazon Prime right now, there's a series called The Peripheral, which is based on a novel or a series of novels by William Gibson. And I guess he's been writing kind of science fiction since maybe The the Peripheral um, is a series on Amazon Prime. And I think it's one of those shows that they are going to give you a couple to binge in the first go around, you know, that they'll give you two to three to watch and then it'll come out every week. And it is about this young woman and her brother. Like, I think she used to like play virtual games or some very kind of violent games that she has to stop. She's, it doesn't say why she has to stop playing these games, but I can imagine because they're not good for you. She's a teenager and she lives with her brother. He is sort of like getting into these military like games. And sometimes he has his sister play for him even though she's not supposed to do that. But he tells her, you know, like they, there's, they're not shooter games, so she should be okay. But she starts going into this game and she's like witnessing this, this alternate London, which seems like it's set 80 years into the future. And she's making all of these discoveries. So like she's witnessing crime. It's not shooter crimes, but the things that she's witnessing are still having an effect on her. And then she kind of meets someone who brings her further into this world. And of course, it's about like, what are they involved in? It turns out that when you're in this virtual game, like some of the effects, some of the things that happen to you, you carry over into your normal life. So that's streaming. Like I said, that's on Amazon Prime. William Gibson wrote two novels, and I guess this is supposed to be a trilogy. So there must be one more book coming. The first one was actually called The Peripheral, and the second one was called Agency. And I actually remember this cover because it was one of the books, like one of the last BAs that we went to. This book was out, and I think I had a copy of it at one point, but it it was kind of science fiction-y. So that's probably why I didn't um, read it, but I will see because I do want to I don't know. The series looks a little good. So I'm going to watch a few episodes and then possibly read this book. But he's been writing science fiction, speculative fiction for a really long time. They say he's credited with coming up with the term cyberspace and envisioning the internet and virtual reality before they actually existed. So that was kind of interesting. Okay. So I want to talk about one that is out now, or it says November, 2022. So my guess is if it's not right the second it will be by the time this airs and maybe we've talked about this before but it's um the adaptation of fleischman is in trouble the book by taffy brodesser ackner and this is on hulu and it is a tv series and it has jesse eisenberg claire danes and lizzie kaplan playing the main three roles this one i definitely want to watch because i read the book and i'm so intrigued to see how they turn this into a series do you think that it'll translate into a series? Probably. Um, th- did you read it or you didn't read it? It has a, perce- a perspective shift about three quarters of the way through the book. And I'm curious to know whether they incorporate that perspective shift into a TV series or whether they sort of decide they're just going to do it from both perspectives from the start. So I'm, I'm intrigued by that because the perspective shift I thought was an extremely important part of the book. So I don't know. I, I'm curious. Hmm. But I think I will okay. watch this one and this is on Hulu. Okay. I might check that out. I have to, I'll have to look and just quickly also on Hulu, because we've discussed these before a lot of times 
are Little Fires Everywhere, Nine Perfect Strangers, which is a Leanne Moriarty adaptation, and then also Conversations with Friends and Normal People by Sally Rooney. Yes. I highly, highly recommend the Normal People series, but I've talked about that a million times. Okay. The next one I have is a movie. It is coming out in December, and it's a book I did not read, and it's the adaptation of A Man Called Ove by Frederick Bachman. And I could have sworn you read that. No. I thought like you went through an old people phase. <laughs> I don't think so. I never, I haven't read anything by him before. This one is now called A Man Called Otto, Americanized it. It stars Tom Hanks. I think I've watched a trailer of this recently. And so this is a movie about like a grumpy man, a grumpy and depressed and lonely man who like has, you know, sworn off any sort of like human connection. And then a family moves in next door to him who ultimately, you know, pull him out of his hibernation, both physical and emotional. I don't know. I never read the book. I I know people love the book. People love his books, Beartown, Anxious People, this one. I know there's other ones and I've just, I've never read any of them. So maybe this is a good way for me to. I don't know what series I thought you were reading. I thought you had maybe read those. No. Is there a Bachman author that you read? Is he the Bachman author? He wrote the, Bachman wrote these, but I never read any of them. Okay. I have some of them Hmm. on my shelf. I just never read them. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So you're collecting and you will see if you're going to read any after you see. I guess so. I mean, I watched the trailer. It looked very Hollywood-y. Like it, it it looks kind of predictable, but that doesn't necessarily mean bad. It just looked. Well, it's a Tom Hanks movie. Right. So. He tends to do that well, like big Hollywood movie, but also kind of endearing and heartwarming and worthwhile. So maybe. Like sleep, no, not Sleepless in Seattle. What's the one about the, uh, oh, You've Got Mail? The Beach No, ball. You've Got Mail, which was oh. an adaptation of, well, I guess that was an adaptation of a an earlier movie. Are you talking? You know, I've read, never, I've never seen that movie. Oh, you've never seen You've Got Mail? It's cute. It's cute. Or Sleepless in Seattle, I don't think. Yeah, You've Got Mail is cute. Yeah. It probably feels hopelessly outdated. It's about like he owns like a big bookstore on the Upper West Side and Meg Ryan's character owns a little bookstore on the Upper West Side. It's kind of like supposed to be like, you know, big Barnes and Noble coming in and wiping out the little cute mom and pop shop, which of course, you know, if it right. and currently they would both be wiped out by Amazon. So it's, you know, totally out of date, but it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's cute. And they communicate by, by email, like AOL. <laughs> it's extremely dated, but it's really, it's, it's very cute. <laughs> <laughs> that's this is probably like a feel-good holiday movie that you know will hit it big all right so this isn't based on a book it's probably based on the new york magazine article that was in the cut called the watcher the true story of the haunting of 657 boulevard um i talked about this a little last week it was mentioned in my book club i read the article it was super creepy these people buy this house you know someone sends some creepy letters about people watching the house and like wanting to, I don't know, sacrifice their children to it or whatever weird. These people never move into the house. They sell it for a loss, like a $400,000 loss. And I guess other people have since moved into this house. They say they don't have any problems with it. But now when I pulled up the address of the house to like refresh my memory about the article, it says that the cops have visited 58 times since the current owners moved in. And I looked at the article on New York Magazine 
and it looks like it's been updated. So I have to read that and see what's going on with that. But anyway, this is on Netflix right now. It's called The Watcher. And it is about basically this family just buying this house. And there are some echoes of it, of whether they are affected by greed, like some of the letters kind of reference the fact that they, you know, this house is just like this huge, beautiful house with all of these, I guess, kind of antique vibe or just very period style that other people don't want modified. So there's seven different episodes and each episode kind of looks at who could be sending these letters to get these people out of the house. And it's basically about this dissolution of the family because they've kind of bought this house. They're over their means, you know, like the husband is stressed at work. He is having issues with his teenage daughter and how she dresses. So it's almost like more so about the dissolution of the American dream or whatever. They've tried to buy this house to get out of the city. You know, they live in New York and they feel like this is just like going to be safe and just better for them. And just taking a look at like what kind of weirdness goes out on the suburbs. And is that really true? This sounds scary. Uh, it's a little creepy. I don't know. I'm not, I, I know my sensitivities for creepiness, but you've intimated that you're a little bit frightened of stuff. Yeah. So probably would be too creepy. Yeah, for probably. You. My next one is supposedly coming out in December, but I don't have, I don't know if I have a release date. I can look it up, but it's the flat share adaptation. And this is also going to be uh, a series and on Paramount plus and the flat share is a sort of a romance book about two people living in London who share an apartment, but they never meet because one of them works nights and one of them works days. They're never there at the same time. And yes, that's totally unrealistic. But the book is by Beth O'Leary and it is, it's very cute. I did this one on audio a couple of years ago and I liked it a lot. It's, it's cute, but it also has some darkness to it too. It's not just, you know, light and fluffy. And they, they of course become friends by writing each other notes that they leave for each other during the period when they're, you know, he'll leave a note for her that she reads in the morning. She leaves a note that he reads at night and um, it's cute. So I'm, I'm intrigued to know. I'm, I'm intrigued to see how they do this one. Okay. So my next one is based on um, Emma Donahue's novel called The Wonder and it came out in 2016 and it is about this Protestant nurse who goes to Ireland, I believe in the late 1800s or maybe early 1900s. I'm not clear on the period, but she goes there to investigate the case of this young Irish girl who has supposedly been able to keep herself alive without eating or drinking anything. And of course the child is like basically to the point where it seems like she's wasting away and she is assigned to just kind of like go and see what's happening in this village. And it's kind of like a child welfare case. So it was this really interesting exploration of just the troubled relationship between Ireland and England and how this Protestant nurse comes into this Catholic community and basically has her own views about the situation that's going on and trying to intervene on behalf of the welfare of this child in juxtaposition to an Irish culture who kind of has their own reasons and has their own beliefs and which one is right and what's actually going on. I don't know if originally they were going to be calling this the fasting girls. I think that was one of the names that I had heard 
of it, but it looks like they've settled back on the wonder. And Florence Pugh is in it, and it's going to be coming out on November 16th in, in like another mm. week. I never read that book. Did you? Yes, I read it. It was, it was oh, so good. She's so good. She is really good. I think it's so interesting because I feel like Room, I didn't read Room, so you can speak to, I guess, whether you feel like, was it more commercial? Like, I mean, this is, I guess... Someone being held cap in captivity like that, I can see how it would be just something that people are, are interested in. Like, what is that experience like or whatever? I feel like with each book that sometimes she writes about completely different things. The writing is always beautiful and the story is always so well told, but it just too is really going to depend on if you feel any kind of resonance with her subject matter. Right. Because she, she does not write the same no, book. Not at all. And I think she has a new one that's coming out or not out. And I can't remember, but it was one of those. It's just like, I really like her, but I wonder if I would be interested in the subject. Yeah, no, she definitely goes all over the place and is certainly not. She doesn't seem to be concerned with like commercial appeal. Yeah, Right. Which is why I guess I was kind of asking you if you saw the commercial appeal of Rue. Yeah. My guess is that. Do you feel it was written that way? Well, I think. I'm not sure she wrote it for commercial appeal. I think that it probably coincidentally had commercial appeal. Like I, th- I think it was such a well-told engrossing book. I mean, so disturbing, but so, I don't know. Some of her other books have been, have, have seemed to me to be less accessible. Not that, you know, being locked in a garage for years is necessarily an accessible story, but it just, I think it's maybe just easier for people to somehow picture or understand than maybe some of her other books. I get, I mean, the wonder is not, it has a 3.63 rating on Goodreads and room has a 4.07. Mm-hmm. I think pull of the stars did better, which is her, the book, her last book, which got a 3.97 came out in 2020. I mean, I thought the wonder was fantastic, but I can see how it is a very specific book. So I can see how it would not have light appeal. Yeah, I was kind of, I was shocked that I, it, they're adapting it. So I was happy about that. What was that one that she wrote? I, I think you and I both read it, or at least I started it after Room. It was about like a prostitute. I can't remember the name of it. Did it have the word frog in the title? I don't, Does that make any sense? Oh, frog music? Frog music. Frog music? I remember. I didn't read that one. Okay. I wonder if, I think the only thing I read by her is The Wonder. Okay. Did I read Astray? Yes, with her, like I said, very good writing. And I think I, I've i read one of her other smaller books and the name escapes me. But I read like little pieces of all the ones that come out. And it's just that it just depends on the subject matter. Yeah. Okay, so my next one is a book that I have not yet read, but a million people have. And this is the movie adaptation of Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. I have not read this book. I have, it's so funny. Like, you know, we talk about like my blow dry book. I also have an emergency book that's stashed in my car so that if God forbid, I find myself someplace that I don't have a book with me and I need a book, it's always there, but I've never needed it because I always have a book with me. So, but it's sitting there ready at the ready if I need it. And that book is red, white, and royal blue. So I haven't read it, but I know a lot of people have, and this is about, it's an LGBT. TQ romance between um, the son of the first or a candidate to be the first woman president and the Prince of Wales. They meet obviously through their political 
connections through their political status. And then they develop like the steamy but secretive romance because they need to keep it a secret. Um, And everyone I know who's ever read this has loved it. It is coming out in a movie format and I can't seem to get an actual release date. It started filming in June of this year. So it probably means it wouldn't be out until the first half of next year. But people seem to be very excited by it. And there's two hot guys who were casted it who I've really never heard of either one of them before. And I'm trying to see where it will be accessible. It's going to be on Amazon Prime Video. Sounds yeah, good. I think that does sound good. I'll try to read the book before that comes out. I need some like long baseball game somewhere for my son to drive him someplace far away and to forget a book. And then I will you know, resort to the book in the car. So I can't find the release date for this, but Daisy Jones and the Six is going to be a series that's out this year. Yep. I had that on one of my lists as well, but it looks like it doesn't have a release date. It says filming wrapped in May. Oh, okay. Yeah. So maybe then they will, yeah, it's listed on IMDb as 2022, but maybe they will push, either it'll come out older or they'll push the release date. Um, but it's going to be on Prime Video. Yep. And it's going to be 13 episodes. I feel like, I don't know. What do you think, Shot? I mean, Taylor Jenkins Reid's book always did. I think they were always doing really well. I feel like Daisy Jones and the Six got an incredible amount of attention. So that might be her breakout book. Yeah. But Daisy Jones and the Six is about, it's kind of like, a retrospective, I guess, of the 70s oral, band. Oral history. It's told from the, oral history. Yeah. It's told from the perspective of the different band members. Um, I don't think they were together that long, but kind of like what led to their demise and what happened to to the members. We learn about them as they look back on what happened as they were forming the band and in the first exciting year that all of this was going down. And who is in it? I have... Riley Keough. Sam Claflin. Oh, you know who Sam Claflin is? He played, I believe, he was in Me Before You. I think he played. Oh, really? oh yes, yes, yes. Right. Yeah, That's right. he plays the, you know, the, the male lead whose name I can't remember. Yeah. Suki Waterhouse and Camila Marone. So we have that to look forward to. Yes. Okay, I'm just going to mention a couple more quickly before we wrap up. Um, do you have any more after this? No. So okay. All right. So I'm going to wrap a few. One of them is one of your favorite books is coming out in May. And that is Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh. Did, you read that, right? For some reason, I thought that was I did. ones that you liked a lot. Yeah. And it's got Leonardo DiCaprio. I did. Yeah. Robert De Niro, Jesse Plemons. Oh, is that finally coming out? I was just reading this article about how that, that movie seems to be like cursed. Or well, it's got, a, it's got a rumor of a May 23 premiere at Cannes Film Festival. Okay. okay. So that's a book that Nicole... So that means we probably won't see it till the end of next year. <laughs> probably. Then there is Lessons in Chemistry coming out on Apple TV. Uh, and I don't know. Did you read that book? I did. I did. And so, I mean, that's a super popular book. And then the last one I wanted to mention was also on Apple TV. The last thing he told me by Laura Dave, which I read okay. maybe last year. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, just wanted to make sure we mentioned those. As I well. heard a rumor. Oh yeah. 
I was just thinking about it was the Julia Roberts Denzel Washington was supposed to be in that book. Oh, right. Leave, leave the world. Behind. Yeah. Ramon Alon. Leave the world behind. Yeah. Yes. What happened to that? I don't know. I think I remember maybe an act they changed it. No, maybe that was. No, I think you're um, right. There was a cast change. No, no. I think you're right about leave the world behind that. There was a cast change in that one. And I don't remember, yeah. is Julia Roberts the, the new one or is that, was she the original cast that got moved? Maybe she was the original one. Was she going to produce it at one point? Here, I'm looking it up. I don't know. It's so hard when you hear about stuff close to release date because so many things can change. You know, when books get option it, or bought, it basically means. Oh, it's means the, here's the cast change. It's no longer Denzel Washington. It's Mahershala oh. Ali. Oh. And Ethan Hawke is in it too. And Kevin and Ooh. Kevin Bacon is in it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we might like the movie a lot better. Oh, I'm excited for that one. Right. Oh, uh, he, that's right. Marshall Ali replaced Denzel Washington in 2021. And it was started filming in April of 2022. Oh, okay, good. So we might get it soonish. One other one that I will mention that I am in the middle of watching on Apple TV is Five Days in Memorial, which is based on Sherry Fink's book about the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina in this in Memorial Hospital where they had to just triage the patients who were going to be allowed to take the helicopters and the boats available out and just what happened to the doctors and and the patients afterwards because they had like a high death count at that hospital. And it was in the news a lot and really in, you know, the conditions were investigated, the fact that the hospital really had no plan for flooding or evacuating patients. And that's been really fascinating, you know, I mean, with superstorms seemingly on the rise or them getting worse and, you know, New York had its own superstorm. Gosh, is it almost 10 years ago now? I think this is like the anniversary time of, of Sandy. So it's just been like really interesting to, to watch and to consider definitely making me think about if my apartment is like in a low lying area for flooding, which it kind of is. So, all right. Well, that's that's all. all. We got a lot of good stuff to look forward to. I know lots of good stuff to watch. I think we'll have to put this in semi regularly. Like we do paper. Yeah, exactly. Check in on at least a couple of times. Check in on the release dates. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And until next time, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks.